Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from the life of Noah in Genesis chapter 9 about the dangers of alcohol and what the Bible says about alcohol, drinking, drunkenness, and what a Christ followers to know about God and alcohol. Now, we've been mentioning all week about the summer blitz. What is the Summer Blitz? It's a campaign to reach lost Jewish people around the United States and Canada this summer. And Tom Cantor, the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher here on Friendship with God, is encouraging you to be a part of it. Now, Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries are sponsoring 108 missionaries to go out to these 14 Jewish cities around the U.S. and Canada, and we'd like you to be a part of it. We'd like you to help support and send more missionaries to go out this summer between Monday, May 11th, all the way through August 3rd, to reach Jewish people full-time throughout the entire summer. Now, these missionaries will go door-to-door, street-to-street, person-to-person, with a personal gospel witness, as well as gospel resources and materials written for the Jewish people by Tom Cantor. Now, you can be a part of this campaign, because we need to send more missionaries, and we'd like your financial support. It'll be a tax-deductible donation to us here at Israel Restoration Ministries and Friendship with God. Donate online at IsraelRestoration.org, IsraelRestoration.org, or FriendshipWithGod.org, or call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051 with your support to reach lost Israel, 800-247-3051. Now here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God, teaching us about the dangers of alcohol. And then Ham, he went to Denny's and became Ham and No, no, I'm just joking. (laughs) He went to south, and, and he became the people of Canaan, as the original Canaanites. And Egypt, and um, Ethiopia, and Af- Africa. And then Shem, think of Shem like Sem, Semites, Shemites. They went south, and they became the people of Syria and the Middle East, more or less. Okay, now, we come to verse 20. In verse 20, it says here that Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, okay? And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Now, this is the first mention of wine. And uh, the question is, is this referring to grape juice <laughs> or wine, okay? I mean, you think that's funny, right? Well, I know one mission organization that had a requirement that all of their people in their organization had to sign a statement that wine always referred to grape juice in the, uh, in the Bible. See? That's what they did. <laughs> We're not going to conclude that. I mean, you know, we wouldn't understand verse 21, you know. And he drank grape juice and was drunken. And, you know, <laughs> or like Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with grape juice, wherein is excess. Uh, so, okay. So he begin, Noah begins to cultivate the ground, and we find Noah planting the vineyard, and Noah's drinking the wine, and then he gets drunk. Okay, and as I mentioned, this is the first mention of wine in the Bible. Now, the first mention of wine in the Bible, not a very good light. Wine's not in a good light in this mention. Now, the second mention of wine in the Bible is Genesis 14. That's where Melchizedek, the priest of God, comes out and he brings wine, he brings bread and wine, same word, same Hebrew word, to Abraham after his exhausting battle to rescue his, his foolish nephew, Lot. So, you know, the priest of God brings wine. So there we see wine in a good light, right? So, and then the third mention of wine in the Bible is Genesis 19, where Lot's two wicked daughters 
agreed, and it says in Genesis 19.32, Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. So the results of that use of wine were the Moabites and the Ammonites that Israel is still fighting today. So what do we gain from this? There are places in the Bible where wine is in a good light, as we mentioned, but uh, it's in a good light. For example, Paul told Timothy to use wine as a medicine. He said in 1 Timothy 5.23, drink a little wine. Drink no longer water, he says, but use a little wine. Let me use a little, get thirsty. For thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. So wine's in a light here of a medicine. You know, it can cure stomach infections and it dissolves fats that upset the stomach. And so Paul told him to use a little wine for his stomach and his, his other ailments, Timothy's other ailments. Reminds me of Cheryl's grandfather back on the farm in Pennsylvania. And her grandfather was in a wheelchair. He had bad circulation. So he'd lost his legs and he had poor circulation to his brain and it caused him to see little bugs on his sweater. He used to call them graybacks. And he used to say to Cheryl, get them off, get them off of me. Get them graybacks off of me, you know, because <laughs> he had bad circulation. And so he used to say to Cheryl, he said, Cheryl, where's that bottle of whiskey? He used to say, you know, and said, where did Grandma hide that bottle? And Cheryl would say, now, Grandpa, you know, Grandma does not want you to have that bottle. And then he would say, Cheryl, the doctor said for me to take just a little nip of whiskey every day for my poor circulation. Anyway, so that's a good use of wine, maybe. So, and then we saw wine in the case of Melchizedek, and it was brought as refreshment to Abraham. We saw wine in a good light. When the Lord Jesus Christ, he turned the water into wine at his first miracle in the marriage of Cana. We saw wine in a good light in the Last Supper, where the Lord Jesus Christ, holding it, said, Drink this in remembrance of me. So there are many instances in the Bible where wine is in a good light. Good light. Solomon gave a flagon of a piece of good piece of flesh, or maybe it was David, and a flagon of wine to everybody when they came to Jerusalem one time. Anyway, on the other hand, There are many instances in the Bible where wine is in a bad light. For example, here with Noah, where it brought about, uh, we also saw that it brought about this wicked union between Lot's uh, two daughters. Wine was not to be drunk by the Nazarite, who had given himself to God. Wine was not if you wanted to have rational thinking. As it says in Proverbs 31, 4 and 5, it's not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Now, the the next verses after that tell how wine is to be used. It says, Give strong drink unto him that's ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. So it's to escape reality. You You know that. Remember I told you I used that verse in Japan. Uh, at dinners with Japanese businessmen when they would ask me to drink sake, wine, and whiskey. And I'd say, you know, the Bible says to give strong drink to him that's dying (laughs) and to the heavy-hearted. And I said, your company doesn't make me feel like I'm dying and I don't feel (laughs) heavy-hearted. So so wine is seen in both good and bad lights. but, But the Bible has warnings about wine. And that's why it says in 1 Timothy 3.8, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, nor greedy of filthy lucre. Titus 2.3 says that for the women, aged women, it says, Likewise they should be, they be in behavior, becometh holiness, 
not false accusers, nor given to much wine, teachers of good things. So evidently from those two verses, we understand that the problem of the excess of wine was a problem in Paul's day. And in Proverbs 21, 17, it says, He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. And then we saw there was nothing left for God to do. There was no other option except for him to resort to this worldwide destruction that happened in the flood. And that's when he said, I will destroy man whom I have created. And, he's, and it's so important to God to make man understand he doesn't want to send anyone to hell, to judgment. So he explains what he's doing in a very definite act. And he says, I do set. In verse 20, it says here that Noah began to be a husbandman and he planted a vineyard. Okay, And he drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. Now, this is the first mention of wine. And uh, the question is, is this referring to grape juice (laughs) or wine, okay? So here, wine is described as a tempting lover that it's easy to fall in love with. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So wine is called here a mocker, a deceiver. Why? Because it promises it promises one thing and then it tricks and fools and gives something else. It delivers something else. And you might want to turn now to Proverbs 23, 29, which is really describing what wine delivers, what it actually delivers. Proverbs 23, 29 says, it asks some questions and then it gives some answers. So the questions that it starts off with, it starts off with, with four questions, five questions, six questions. Who hath woe? Question one. Who hath sorrow? Question two. Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? And the answer, they that tarry long at the wine. They that seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it's red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself right. And that'd be when grape juice turns to wine. At the last... It biteth like a serpent, it stingeth like an adder. Thine eye shall behold strange women, thine heart shall, be, shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say. I was not sick. They have beaten me, I felt it not. When shall I awake? I'll seek it yet again. So wine is always inviting to stay a while, tarry long at the wine, have another drink. Just another drink. And wine is likened here to a venomous snake. Looks nice, and you get close, and it bites. It stings like an adder. It causes a letting down of the guard, which leads to sexual immorality. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Wine is addicting. It has a voice. It calls right from the bottle. Calls the person's name. Calls your name. And and that's, I will seek it yet again. So wine or alcohol is portrayed in the Bible as a temptation, especially to those who are really alcoholics but deny it. So what can we conclude? It's not a sin to drink a little wine. But with all the Bible warnings against excess use, of how it can easily lead to addiction, of how it perverts rational, clear thinking, of how it's portrayed as a mocker, as a deceiver, like a snake, how it brings down the guard against sexual sins, of how it leads to do things that afterwards you wish you hadn't done. 
We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God in just a moment. We want to encourage you to support Friendship with God with a tax-deductible donation so we can continue airing on this station and in your city. And as we've been encouraging you all week long, help get involved with Jewish evangelism. We're sending out 108 missionaries around the United States and Canada this summer for several months full-time to reach the Jewish people with the gospel. If you'd like to support a missionary with a tax-deductible donation, you can send your support in online via israelrestoration.org, israelrestoration.org, or friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also call us at 800-247-3051 to support the gospel going to Israel. Not Israel overseas, but Israel right here in America and Canada in our own backyard. 800-247-3051. Noah did something he normally would not have done because of it when he succumbed to this indulgence in wine. And wine brought Noah a great sorrow where afterward he wished he hadn't done. And we see how wine has, has wrecked so many homes and killed so many people on the roads. And it leads to destruction of reputation. I mean, Noah was, look look at Noah, he was the great leader. But as as great as Noah was, he had a weakness for wine. And he got drunk, and he exposed himself. And wine brought to Noah a great loss of reputation. And it's a temptation to others as well, who may be struggling with wine. By using wine, we can bring the downfall of someone else as what happened in Noah's case. Now, aren't those enough reasons for us to conclude that it's just a good idea to avoid alcohol altogether, or at least to respect the Bible's warnings and dangers and restrict it to very rare occasions and a very small quantity? Alcohol's dangerous. It's a dangerous drink in a world of fallen men. The waters of the flood didn't destroy Noah, but what did harm him was this unguarded indulgence in wine. So what we're seeing here in Genesis 9.21 is that wine deceived Noah because like a snake, it looked good at the start, but then it stung him. He caused Noah to lose his rational judgment of what to do. It caused Noah to let down his guard in the sexual area. It caused Noah to be mocked by his son. It caused Noah to lose his reputation. It caused Noah to regret what he did when he was drunk. And so it says there in verse 21, he was uncovered. Now, for Noah, that was a deliberate act of Noah. It doesn't mean that he was in the middle of changing his clothes and the sun just walked on him. It means that Noah had deliberately made himself naked in his tent, and it wasn't right, and God doesn't want to give us any more details, and we don't want any more details. We want to be like Shem and Japheth and uh, turn our back and not see this shame and wrong. Uh, but in uh, verse 22, Ham, father came, and he saw the nakedness of his father. He told his two brethren without. Now, when it says Ham saw the nakedness of his father, it doesn't mean that he walked into his tent, got a glimpse that his father had no clothes on, covers his eyes and says, oh, no, I'm sorry, and and go and tell his brothers. That's not what it means. It doesn't say that Ham saw his father naked. It says that Ham saw the nakedness of his father. Ham took time to get a look, get a good look at the nakedness of his father. That was wicked. By the way, moms and dads, Don't ever let your children see you naked. Don't do that. 
Don't bring your children. Don't bring your children to the shower with you. Don't, when they're little, don't bring them to the bathtub with you. It's wrong. Now, it says in verse 22 that Ham told his two brothers without. Now, he probably told them like an invitation. Why don't you guys come in and see this too? This is really something. He's really making a fool out of himself. You've got to see this. And that's maybe. And in verse 23, it says that Ham, no, Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon their, both their shoulders and went backward and covered their nakedness to their father and their faces were backward. They didn't see the naked, father's nakedness. So they refused to disrespect their father. And instead of expanding the shame of their father, Shem and Japheth did something wonderful. That's a great picture here of Shem and Ham. It's, it's really something. I mean, quickly... We can see Shem and Ham, and they're figuring out the plan, and they come up with the plan. They're going to cover their fathers, and they're going to do it in a way that they don't see his naked body. So they take this large garment, like a large coat, and Shem gets on one side under it, and Ham, he gets on, I mean, Japheth, he gets on the other side, and like a large, am I saying it right? Shem and Japheth, right? And they get in there, and they're, they're walking backwards, you know? Okay, now let's walk together now. And they get over to their father, maybe bump into him or something, and then they let go of the cloak. I mean, it's really something, you know? And then they say, okay, now we turn around, because the father's clothed, you know, and we cover them all up, and, uh, and, and, and come on, Dad, let's, uh, let's lie down, sleep it off. Let's, let's, so take some time, Dad, sober, so stay, stay covered and sleep. And that's a beautiful picture for us. That's wonderful. I mean, there's several beautiful pictures in here. One of them is that of these two brothers working together to protect their father. Isn't that beautiful? The working together part. You know, they get the Psalm 133 Medal of Honor, each one. Here you go, Shem. Here you go, Japheth. And what does it say? It says, Behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together, or you might say to work together in unity. It's like precious ointment. It ran down upon the head and drained down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, and went down to the skirts of his garment, as the dew of Hermon, the dew that descends upon the mountain Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So we see this beautiful picture of the two sons here working in unity as they both agreed that they should not accept their younger brother's invitation to look on their father's nakedness, but instead they agreed that they should do this to cover his nakedness. Now, there's a second beautiful picture here, and that is when someone sins, as their father did, that each one of us comes to a crossroad, and that road's called the Ham Road, and this road's called the Shem and Japheth Road. It's a crossroads. And if we take the Ham Road, then we gossip and talk and expand it and how wrong this person was, and it's like looking on their nakedness. But if we take the Shem and Japheth Road, we don't think about the wrong, and we don't spread it, we just cover it. Like Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 8, when he said, above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves, for charity or love shall cover a multitude of sins. So they loved their father, and so they covered his nakedness. And can't you see in that how Shem and Japheth are just like God? I mean, what happened in the garden when Adam sinned? He, all of a sudden, he was exposed. He felt exposed, this nakedness. So what did God do? Did God sit back there and say, ah, you know, he didn't, God didn't go right to work to cover him, to cover his nakedness. That's what they did. Okay, now, verse 24, Noah comes to. Noah woke from his wine, 
woke from his wine, knew what his younger son had done to him. So Noah slept it off, woke up sober, but he knew what his son had done to him. Not done, but what his son had done to him. He knew that. You know, this whole history of Noah, this is not very easy to read. And it's kind of shocking for us. It's just so disappointing. I mean, this was Noah who was called by God the just man, perfect in his generations, walking with God. This was the one who God said that he examined and found him to be righteous in his generations, in Genesis 6, 9. This was the Noah who did according to all that the Lord commanded him, in Genesis 6, 22. This was Noah who God blessed, in our chapter, verse 1. This was Noah who God spoke to directly, verse 8. This was Noah who had just received this covenant for all generations. After all that, all that, little did Noah know that just around the corner from that lay the temptation of his life that he would fall in. And the great lesson for us to learn from this is that we are the most vulnerable, as Noah was, right after a great blessing or deliverance because that's the time when pride gets in and that's the time when we're tempted to let our prayer guard down. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said, daily you pray this prayer. He said, daily, Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. He says, no, it's pray this every day. And he says, forgive us our debts, we forgive our debtors. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's what he taught. Because temptation's lying around the corner for us. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. We're all subject to falling. We all are. And it's only our reliance on God that will keep us from falling. Our age as a Christian cannot keep us from falling. Noah fell, and Noah walked with God 600 years before he fell. Our past victories cannot keep us from falling. Noah fell, and Noah was perfect and righteous in his generation before this. Our knowledge of the scriptures cannot keep us from falling. Noah fell, and God spoke to Noah directly. Our ministry cannot keep us from falling. Noah fell, and Noah was God's preacher of righteousness to the world. Our past deliverances from temptation, cannot keep us from falling. Noah fell, and Noah was delivered from the world that was destroyed by the flood. None of those provide any basis for security against us from falling into temptation. We have to do what Paul taught us in Galatians 6.1 when he said, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. We're in as much danger of falling as Noah was, therefore we need to always be on our guard. Now, as we finish this chapter, because this is what we're doing, we're finishing the chapter on Noah, history of Noah, we can't help but see the parallels between Noah and Adam. Both came into a world that had emerged from water, Genesis 1.9 and 8.1. Both were blessed with dominion over the animals, Genesis 1.26 and 9.2. Both were told to be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 1.28 and 9.1. Both were warned by God, about sin, Genesis 2.17 and 8.21. Adam's sin resulted in the exposure of his nakedness. Noah's sin was the nakedness itself, Genesis 3.7 and 9.21. And both were covered by another, Genesis 3.21 and 9.23. With that, we bring our study 
today to a close with the picture of Shem and Japheth covering their father and the reminder to us, going back to Adam, of how God covers our sin with his precious blood. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being the God who covers us. Lord, many, many titles are wonderful about you, but this one really means a lot to us this morning, the God who covers us. We thank you, Lord, for the picture of Shem and Japheth covering the nakedness of their father, and we thank you for the meaning as we've seen it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another fantastic week of teaching here on the Friendship with God radio program with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. As we've been mentioning all week, we need your financial support to send out more missionaries with the gospel this summer around America and in Canada in 14 Jewish cities and giving out the gospel. If you'd like to be a part of that financial support, you can do so by going to IsraelRestoration.org. IsraelRestoration.org. Our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, is the founder of that ministry, Jewish evangelism ministry, getting out the gospel to lost Jewish people. IsraelRestoration.org. Donate online or go to FriendshipWithGod.org. FriendshipWithGod.org. You can also sign up there online for our Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries newsletter that will have lots of testimonies of the witness that's going on with the Jewish people. And we'll also have requests for prayer that will be on there. So get involved. Sign up for the Tom Cantor Daily Devotional Verse and the newsletter for Israel Restoration Ministries and Friendship with God so you can find out what's going on with the Summer Blitz and support us by calling 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Reach lost Jewish people now. 800-247-3051.